It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, lockdown lovelies, and welcome to the Premier League post-match podcast from Talk Sport with former England star and World Cup quarter-finalist Trevor Sinclair, Talk Sport transfer guru Alex Crook, and me, Sam Matterface. Pepe takes Le Pew as Arsenal's attacks stink the joint out. Two shots on target, and now over seven hours without a goal in the Premier League from open play. Well, Arteta's former boss has got a goal-scoring problem too. Manchester City have scored 17 goals less than at this stage last season, and they've scored fewer goals than Brighton, who beat Villa on their own patch. Tottenham went top thanks to their win on Saturday night. The special one says, It's not about me, it's about Harry, who played a blinder. Liverpool level on points after Brendan gets Rodgers at Anfield. Also, Chelsea and Newcastle hoodoo. West Brom pay two hefty penalties and Everton get back to winning ways, but only after Fulham give them a bit of a scare. All on the podcast that is more than happy to suck it all up, take all the flack and then hit with rapid precision on the counter-attack and make you eat your words. It's the game day Premier League post-match pod from TalkSport. This is game day. And a very big hello to debutant Trevor Sinclair, the former Manchester City, West Ham and England winger. Welcome to the Game Day pod. How are we? Long nice, time no see. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. And uh, Alex Crook, who's just come off air where he has obliterated Pep Guardiola. And I'm guessing, Ooh. I'm guessing, has suggested that he should be replaced by Ralph Hasenhutl. Is that right? <laughs> not quite. Not quite. But I did suggest that maybe uh, some questions need to be asked by Manchester City fans. Obviously, they've they've got themselves into this position where they are top of the table at the end of this weekend. That in itself is impressive. But are you starting to come around to the Darren Ambrose way of thinking? That is is the big question. Are they contenders? I was until I saw Liverpool <laughs> tear Leicester apart despite all their injuries. I think Liverpool is still the team to beat. Do I think Tottenham can finish in front of Manchester City? Absolutely. And I think we have to doff our cap to Jose Mourinho the seventh time in his managerial career that he's got the better of Pep Guardiola it wasn't pretty but it was effective and again Harry Kane dropping into that number 10 position uh, was a joy to behold he was absolutely sensational they've made themselves hard to beat they've improved defensively as we expected and as I said on the podcast a couple of days ago Hoybier now is is doing the, the job that Mourinho signed him for that's a uh, allowing some of the other midfielders to play with a bit more freedom. I thought it was game plan spot on um, from Jose Mourinho. And I wasn't surprised. I, I, I texted you before the game and, and said that I felt the bookmakers had 
under underpriced um, yeah. Tottenham. I, I really fancied them to pull off an upset, and that's what they did. But was it actually an upset? Yeah, good point. Uh, we will get onto that in more detail a little bit later on. But there are eight games to review this weekend, so let's crack on. And now Timo Werner in full flight for Chelsea. Over the halfway line, it's beyond two. And now he's gone beyond a third. He's got Abraham in support and Abraham will make it 2-0 and send Chelsea top of the table. Aston Villa 1, Brighton 2. What a strike from Solly March back in the team. Playing left wing back, but a right-footed curler. Kane can come forward and Lacelso is through in on goal here. Down the left, under the goalkeeper. He's scored in the Premier League now. Off the bench. And within seconds, Giovanni Lo Celso has scored for Tottenham Hotspur to make it 2-0. Bruno Fernandes, once again, take two from the penalty spot. Here he goes, right-footed, and this time he scores into the opposite corner. Johnston dived the right way, but couldn't keep it out. And ten minutes into the second half, it's Manchester United 1, West Bromwich Albion 0. Leeds United nil, Arsenal nil. You can blame it on the sending off of Pepe if you like, but in truth, Arsenal were limp and ineffective before that, I think. Why can't Mikel Arteta get the goals out of a team that's got Pepe, Willian, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Ketia, Willock, Saka, all at his disposal, Trevor? Well, I think with Aubameyang, um, I feel it possibly is one of them situations where he was quite desperate to sign his contract um, and that kind of enabled him to be desperate on the pitch and get the goals that he was looking for. And then it's almost like a sigh of relief. You signed your contract, um, you've got over that line, you've got your mega deal, and then you kind of relax a little bit and it's not quite happening. I think with the other players you mentioned, possibly apart from Lacazette, you look at Willian, you look at Pepe, uh, they're not real big goal scorers. They chip in now and again, but in general, they're not players you'd look at and think, he's definitely going to get... Uh, double figures this season so I feel that is a problem for Arsenal Um, but looking at this game against Leeds I just thought the intensity was too much for them I thought obviously Leeds take a lot of intensity and energy into games and they did that and in the end I thought it was Bielsa's team who stamped their authority on the game and and Arsenal were very lucky to get away with that game um, with a point Leeds missed key chances as well, didn't they, Trevor? Um, Leno had to make a terrific save. Bamford hit a post. Rodrigo hit the angle of crossbar and post. Rafinha crashed a shot against the post. Leeds were actually unlucky. And and when you look back at the last few matches where they've been on the end of heavy defeats or they've considered quite a lot of goals, I suppose the one thing that Bielsa probably will be more happy with than anything else is the fact that they've kept a clean sheet because coming into the weekend, no side had conceded more goals than Leeds. Yeah, I thought they looked really, really secure at the back. Um, I, I did think that when Saka came on, that he did carry a threat for Arsenal. And unfortunately for Arsenal, he's picked up, a, it looked like a knee injury or flesh injury around the knee, which will be concerning for Arteta. But I did feel that Arsenal, that Leeds defended really well. Um, again, they turned the ball over. They were getting second balls. Uh, the intensity just seemed a little bit too hot for Arsenal. And the chances they created, like you just said there, Sam, you know, they hit the post on several occasions, the, the crossbar, and they'll be kicking themselves that like they didn't get three points out of that game because I thought they were really bright in that final third and especially after the dumb, and I say dumb because he's let his teammates down and he's got sucked in by a player who's, they're having a little bit of a grapple um, and it's almost a white flag to me when you stick a head on a player and I know it wasn't, it wasn't um, a ridiculously aggressive header. It wasn't a Glaswegian kiss, was it? 
no, no. I mean, I would have been embarrassed to go down to that head. Um, but nonetheless, in the day of VAR, you're not going to get away with it. Alioski hit the ground and it's just, it's so naive. And uh, he's not been great for Arsenal, I've got to say. He's shown glimpses, um, Pepe. Uh, but like you say, I think this will this will um, probably plaster over a few cracks for Arteta because everyone will say now, oh yeah, but they had 10 men for 40 minutes of the game and it was a really good battling perform- performance. That's what £72 million gets you nowadays, Alex Crook. Wow. Who sanctioned that deal, by the way? The good news <laughs> is that in about five years' time, um, they'll have finished paying it off. It off. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> George Graham told me recently that when he used to scout players, he used to get all the various regional newspapers, and that's how he signed Lee Dixon, Sam, your ITV partner in crime, because he he noticed in the Stoke newspaper he kept getting man of the match. I imagine it's similar um, with Nicholas Pepe, but I think they probably signed him from the Beano. Oh, dear. Uh, Do you reckon those jokes play well on the Darren Bent boot room? Is that why you've got a permanent (laughs) gig on that show? That was one. Brutal. That was one straight out of the 1990s. Well done. Um, let's uh, t- go back to the 1990s and talk about Everton because uh, they beat Fulham by three goals to two. Aha! Richarlison is back and everyone's happy. Well, sort of. They failed to win the last eight games that they've played without him, including the recent poor run that they've been on. But Everton have the points in the bag. And Carlo Ancelotti said on our programme a little bit earlier uh, on Sunday that the bad period is gone. He mixed up the system. He changed the, the way that they approached the match. Crook, I think you commentated on the game for a TalkSport International. What, what, what was the, the thinking behind the three at the back and what did it give them? Uh, well, Richarlison made a big difference um, and the partnership between him and, and, and Luca Dean was a, a, a big source of uh, fruition, particularly in, yeah. in the first half. Um, and, and you mentioned it's an incredible stat. They haven't managed to win any match uh, without Richarlison in their ranks. They just look a better team with him in there. The supply from that left-hand side to Dominic Calvert-Lewin was something that Fulham simply couldn't cope with. Second half... They noticeably dropped off the pace. That would be a concern, although I think you have to say probably the travelling that Richarlison did playing for Brazil and James Rodriguez for Colombia in midweek was a factor in that. I think as an attacking force, they were back to their best. They still gave up chances uh, against a Fulham side who, let's face it, are not particularly um, prolific. So I think there's still work to be done there. But the partnership between Yerry Mina and Keane at the heart of that Everton defence, for me, looked more secure than when they brought Mason Holgate back in against Manchester United. Yeah, and Dominic Calvert-Lewandowski <laughs> uh, got a couple, didn't he? Uh, he's been impressive, hasn't he? I-, I love him, as we all know. Like I think he- he's fantastic, not just because of his green boiler suit and fluorescent orange bag. Uh, 15 goals in 16 appearances uh, for club and country this season. And that is some return, Trevor. Uh, did you see that coming from him? Well, I've been watching him for the last few years and I've always liked him as a player. I think his physical profile has always been excellent. Um, He runs the channels well. He's really willing at that. I think where he's improved for me is his link-up play. He's got an awful lot better. His physical presence is is improved as he's developing. But also, he's just... His timing of his runs in the box and his ability to kind of um, see the flight of the ball early get across defenders and make sure he gets first contact on the ball for crosses into the box. And uh, I, th- I think, obviously, Ferguson, Duncan Ferguson, helping him with that, you know, looking at videos, analysing situations, how can you earn that space before the ball comes into the box, anticipation. These are all things that you can learn as a striker. And I feel he's picking up a lot of um, different tools and skills for that job. And, you know, as we said earlier, you know, we see Harry Kane 
evolving as a player. I think Calvert-Lewin is evolving as a player and, you know, he's someone that I look at and think I'd like him to be a kind of an understudy to Harry Kane because I think he's got the same kind of assets uh, and could be an understudy for the England squad behind Harry Kane. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think one of the biggest problems uh, is that they haven't got someone like that. And we will come on to that in a bit more detail uh, later on because that is something I want to discuss with you. Fulham so naive, says Scott Parker, and keen to point out that he dished out a half-time rollicking uh, when he was on our programme earlier on, on Sunday. Uh, but he said, I shouldn't need to do that in order to get a team to raise their level to the standard required in the Premier League, Crook. Yeah, I can see what he means by naive defending. Uh, a big problem for them this season is the number of goals they concede early in matches and to fall behind after 42 seconds, presumably. <laughs> Scott Parker would have spent the international break working on being tight as a defensive unit, not offering up any easy chances, and that goes out the window in minute one. They were poor in the first half, there's no question about that. Uh, the jury's out for me on uh, Joachim Anderson. I think he's taking a bit of time to adapt mm-hmm. to the Premier League. I like Olerena going forward, but again, defensively, I think he can be got at as uh, Luca Dean and Richarlison exploited in that first half. Second half was completely different from Fulham and they were probably a bit unlucky in the end not to possibly come away uh, with a point. But if they keep giving up chances, if they keep starting matches slowly, they're going to be back in the championship very quickly. Right, OK, let's move on to Sheffield United, Neil West Ham United 1. Sebastian Allaire has scored a goal and it was a firecracker. It earned all three points for West Ham, moving into the top eight of the division uh, with their fourth win of the season. But no side with one point from their opening nine games of the campaign has ever stayed up in the Premier League. And that is where Chris Wilder and his team find themselves. And Trevor, I've always sort of maintained that I think they will get out of it because... They have the organisation, they have the spirit, the desire and the work rate. But I cannot see where they are going to score another goal. And and the problem is not that I can't see it, is that they can't either. Mm. I think we always look at teams that are down there and you think, okay, you're down there, you're struggling, you're probably struggling for confidence because eight um, losses and one draw, which was against Fulham, by the way, he's, he's not good enough. And as well as they did last season, when they came back from lockdown, they were poor. Mm. And I thought there's been a change there. Either teams have worked them out or I wouldn't say they've got arrogant because I don't think Chris Wilder would let any of his teams get arrogant. But maybe they've just took the foot off the pedal a little bit. And then all of a sudden there's been a short turnaround between last season and this season. And it's continued. Um, they don't score a lot of goals. They're conceding goals. Not that they're conceding loads of goals, but you're asking Rian Brewster, who's he's still developing as a player. He's unproven in the Premier League. I think he has got a real big future ahead of him, but he's learning. He looks like he's struggling to find the back of the net. I think McBurney had a couple of really good chances, hit the bar with one. Again, not clinical enough. We've seen him do that for Scotland on so many occasions as well. William Runner, you know, gives 100%, but you need clinical finishes in that final third. And I just don't see it. You know, McGoldrick, really good footballer, but you, you don't think he's going to be scoring 10 goal, ten plus goals this season in the Premier League. So, Bill Chris Wilder needs reinforcements. I think the sooner they come, the better. He can't come any sooner than January. But for me... If I'm being honest, as well as they did last season, and I was a real big fan of what they were achieving with probably a squad that shouldn't have been competing in the Premier League at the level they were and the position they were, 
I feel unless they make some changes and bring some like firepower in, they're going to be get, getting relegated from the Premier League. It's interesting that Trevor talks about strengthening in January there. I know that Chris Wilder is desperate to bring back David Brooks from Bournemouth. I think we get to January and they're still in the bottom three. I think it'll be an interesting decision that David Brooks has to make. Does he go to Sheffield United knowing that they're likely to be relegated and probably going to swap places with Bournemouth? Or does he stay where he is and, and gamble on Jason Tindall leading them to promotion? I guess Aaron Ramsdale, in, in, in some ways, may well be wrestling with the same dilemma. Should he have stayed at Bournemouth and swallowed up a year in the championship? Because I, I can't see them getting out of it. You mentioned the stats there. I think only two teams in Premier League history have started the season with one point from nine games. They've both been relegated. They look like the confidence has been completely drained away from them. And, and I feel sorry for Chris Wilder because yeah. he's done a fantastic job there and, and it, it, there should be no question mark at all about his position. But to me, he looks like a manager who is struggling to get the best out of his players. Yeah, um, McBurney's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's he's one of those who you think, well, he, he'd do fantastic in the championship, did do fantastic in the championship. But I'm not sure he has the quality to score goals regularly in the Premier League. Can you coach that? Because he's hit the woodwork today. He's steered one yeah. wide of the goal. He's steered a couple straight at the goalkeeper. I can't work out whether he's unlucky or it's bad finishing that can be rectified. What is it, Trev? Well, I think sometimes um, when I've had difficult periods in my career, and I wasn't a, a great goal scorer. I was a scorer of a, a few great goals. But what I found was... Could you just um, remind us of one? Because I can't really call anything to mind. Is there like, any acrobatic ones or anything like that? that you do? I think you got a bicycle kick one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, no, when it's, on a serious note, when I was going through difficult periods, I felt like emotionally I was too invested in the team and my teammates and the club. And I think sometimes you've just got to toss it off literally and just say, you know what, I'm going to go out there and enjoy it. And, and, and it kind of relieves you of that weight on your shoulders and... You know, rather than thinking, like, I'm going to smash this, I'm going to, I've got to, but just relax and the goals will come. And I think, it, again, you know, I've, I've heard Darren say, you know, he was told by uh, Clive Allen when he was at Spurs, when he was going through a bad patch, he practised less because you're obviously doing something wrong. So come away. So it's, it's almost the same kind of philosophy. Don't be too worried about it. Just go out there, enjoy it and the goal will come. And more often than not, you know, it comes off your back backside or your, your your glute or your knee or whatever and, and away you go you run a little goal scoring uh, route again but I think they do need goals it's obvious you know you're looking at the stats and I think it's a confidence thing as well because if you keep on going behind 1-0 all, all of a sudden it's an uphill task every game and I think the lads look drained I was looking at the body language and yeah, the facials problem, that it? Chris Wilder was 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 giving off on, on the live get on the live stream and yeah I, I, I'm like Crookie I felt a bit sorry for him um, next for Sheffield United is a trip to West Bromwich Albion, which uh, probably is a do-or-die game, really. Um, mm. They probably have to win that. David Moyes says afterwards he's, he's keeping his feet on the ground, rightly so, because West Ham uh, don't play again until Steady. Monday night. Uh, you, know, he's, he's not, you can't get too excited too early. It's still very early in the season. They, they did have some tough fixtures at the beginning of the campaign, but their fixture congestion is not going to affect them as badly as it's affected other teams in that sort of zone of the table because their next game is against Villa. Then they've got Manchester United at home. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for Hammers fans, isn't it? Because actually, they might be one of those. I'm not saying that they're going to do anything special, but they might be a team that gets into an area of the table that they would not get into in any normal season because they don't have the the burden of all these competitions that others do, Crook. Yeah, I think maybe you're doing David Moyes a bit of a disservice there. I, I like what he's done with this what, what team. I, I just said, what, what did I say that was a disservice? 
Um, they're, 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 they're benefiting on circumstance. I think you have to give them a lot of praise well, for the I way that... What I mean that... by that is, is they're, not gonna, they're not playing every three days like Manchester City. No, I City, understand that. Like, like Leicester City, like Tottenham, like Arsenal, etc., etc. So they do have the chance to recuperate and do some actual training between now and the next time they play, which is Monday night. Yeah, and what it does mean is that he can keep a settled side, whereas other teams obviously have to yeah. shuffle their pack to, to balance their various... Uh, competitions, but I, I like the way he set the team up. Um, it was a great goal from Sebastian Allaire, although somebody needs to tell his face that. Uh, but you've got <laughs> Bowen and Fournals now working either side of the central striker. I think Fournals is, is one of the most improved players in the Premier League now in terms of end product. I've mentioned before on this podcast, I like the fact that Cresswell is playing as a left-sided central defender and almost an overlapping centre-back like Sheffield United adopted last season. Masuaku has come into the team and, and done really well as a wing-back. So I think all is rosy for West Ham fans at, at this moment in time. And, you know, I'm very critical of managers. I was very critical of David Moyes when he was at Manchester no, United. But I think in this no. case, he, he deserves an awful lot of praise because you have to remember morale amongst the supporters was very low at yeah. the start of the season. They got beat at home by Newcastle. They had that horrendous run of fixtures. Not only have they come through that, they've prospered. Yeah, and um, you know, I can't help but attaching a lot of the responsibility to Stuart Pearce because obviously he went in in the summer, and look what's happened since, you know. And and all he's done really is organise a quiz night, uh, which, by the way, the players absolutely loved. He told me, uh, right? We all love a quiz. We all love a quiz. Uh, Liverpool versus Leicester uh, was the Sunday night game, and with all the stories that were coming out of Liverpool, which basically looked like a medical bulletin for a war zone in the build-up to the match, uh, I must admit I was surprised by the strength of the team that emerged out of the Anfield Tunnel first of all on Sunday night uh, Jota scored again it's the fourth consecutive Premier League home game that he's done that and in fairness they bossed the game from the very start really uh, Leicester had this interesting philosophy where they would sort of you know, in, rather than playing out from the back they'd go long which meant that they bypassed their midfield there was so much of a disconnect between the midfield and their forward players uh, it was all very very hopeful and um, but but Liverpool just played the Liverpool game. Milner played right back. It was terrific. You know, I mean, you can't say anything other than they were impressive, Trevor. Yeah, they were brilliant. You know, I was so impressed. And I was looking at the formation and the shape of their team during parts of that game um, out of possession. And they're, they're almost playing a 2-4-4. Uh, four, four. And that's why, and you say about Leicester playing long, they couldn't play through because yeah. there was no space. And I think the uh, the starting position of Alisson was right. Obviously, you've got Matic there who's going to win most aerial duels against Vardy. And I, fe- I feel they felt comfortable pressing everyone forward, not allowing Le- uh, uh, Leicester to play out and, and trusting themselves that they'll win possession back and then be able to start their game plan. And they executed it brilliant. They were too good for him. I almost thought like... You know, I was looking at certain players feeling, right, come on, this is a good opportunity for you to test yourself against the best. Madison, I didn't even notice he was there. T. Elements, I think he had a shot just before half-time, but literally was just overrun. And I think Mendy was the best midfielder for Leicester and he, he looked quite lively. You know, he looks like a real prospect, but in general, it was a, it was a walkover and it, it was almost like the, the first 10, 15 minutes Leicester were like a rabbit in headlights and did not know what to do. And it was very, very impressive. And, you know, like you said at the top of the show, I feel Liverpool are definitely favourites for the Premier League this year. And that's with having so many key players injured. Um, Obviously, uh, Johnny Evans, I've got a high regard for. I think he's a fantastic defender. But I do believe 
that he got caught out by. I don't know what was on that ball. Sometimes I know that Premier League football, their former professional footballers, they will tell me about the swaz that is sometimes on the ball. Or a bit a, of gonga. A little bit of gonga. Put a little bit yeah, of gonga on it, Annie. All, all, this, all this kind of stuff that you like to, to, to tell me, these little colloquial phrases that you all use at different training grounds. But there was something on that ball because actually, as it came into the penalty area, it's an easy header. And you can see, sort of watching it, it's a bit distracted by Mane, but he's actually got a yeah. decent header on the ball. But it's come off at sort of like a random angle. Like, he's, like his head is shaped like a 50p, which it isn't. So it, it, it's completely outfoxed by the uh, like the, the, the spin of the ball or something it just flies beyond Kasper Schmeichel and he's like what the hell happened there crazy Harvey Barnes though had a really good chance at 1-0 to equalise and he should have scored Crook yeah he should um, I still don't think it would have made a, a massive difference to the outcome I thought Liverpool were that good that um, if, if Leicester scored two they would have scored four or five um, and, and I do wonder now do we start to question again the the mentality of, of Brendan Rodgers when it comes to the big occasion because of course we all know what happened when he was at Liverpool they should have won the title last season Leicester collapsed and missed out on a place in the top four I remember they went to Manchester United very early last season when United were having all kinds of problems everyone expected Leicester to win and, and make that statement they lost and I think it was the same this weekend they, they won't get a better opportunity with the Liverpool injuries to go to Anfield and end that long unbeaten run and quite frankly, they didn't turn up. And I think that's a bit of a concern for Leicester uh, that when it comes to crunch, maybe they don't have that winning mentality. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Right, let's get to Saturday's bangers. Here 
there is Ndombele, lovely ball forward to Son, edge of the area, under the goalkeeper and in, Spurs lead inside five minutes and it's Hyunmin Son with the goal, it's a brilliant ball by Tangi Ndombele and a lovely run by the South Korean, it's Tottenham 1, Manchester City 0. Here's Jesus though, inside the area, dancing past two challenges, comes back to De Bruyne, oh and it's blocked by Jesus in front of the goalkeeper, he came back to Kevin De Bruyne inside the box from Gabriel Jesus and then the shot from De Bruyne smacked Jesus on the back flicked in towards the far post it's fallen to Jesus takes it down past Aurier tries to get onto his right foot still won't pull the trigger Laporte will and Laporte will score five yards inside the box and Manchester City are on level terms VAR checking a possible handball in the build-up Jesus appears to have handled on the way through handball is the decision by Mike Dean and the goal has been chalked off and there is no first goal of the season for Emmerich Laporte Kane can come forward and Lacelso is through in on goal here down the left under the goalkeeper he's scored in the Premier League now off the bench and within seconds Giovanni Lacelso has scored for Tottenham Hotspur to make it 2-0 another counter-attacking goal for Tottenham who lead against Manchester City and are heading to the top of the Premier League. Tottenham 2 to Manchester City nil. I had the delight of watching this game in the company of Trevor Sinclair down at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Spurs topping the table for the first time after nine matches at the end of a day for a first time since 1985. Jose Mourinho's side with a well-executed game plan. Can we talk about two players who might not get mentioned in all the sort of, I love Son, I love Kane, he's brilliant, loving. Uh, Tangi Ndombele, who has improved immeasurably and Pierre-Emile Hoybier, who has snapped up Trevor for £15 English million. Pounds. I mean, listen, we, we, we've heard it so many times about Jose Mourinho and his man management. He cannot improve players. Well, for me, I watched Ndombele last season and he looked a shadow of himself last season than he does now. He was outstanding. He gave the ball simply. He worked really hard. Uh, he, he dispossessed many players in the city side. He, he had great energy and he actually ran himself out and ended up getting substituted. He had something to do with the first goal, nice and bright, nice through ball to Son. He just looked like a really good player and probably the player I expected to see arrive at Tottenham, what was it, two years ago? Um, a year and it didn't materialise. And I just feel, ago. I think Jose deserves a lot of credit for that. Mm. And then obviously Hoiberg, I think he knew what he needed in that team. He's looking at his team, he's thinking, right, I've got that right. I've got that department of the team right. I need two full-backs. He's brought in two full-backs who've been superb. One was missing yesterday. And I have to say, I expected Aurier to, to, to mess up like he usually does. But he took responsibility and he had a great game. On top of that, um, I just feel he, he was the missing piece of the jigsaw. You know, he's, he's energetic, he's combative, he, he's, he can play, he's got good technical ability, he's a good organiser, but more often than not, he goes in and wins balls that are 64 against him, 65, 35 against him. And that's what Jose Mourinho needs in the centre of his park. And it enables the rest of the team to work. And great recruitment, fantastic performance. And, you know, I, listen, I'm a scholar of football. I love to see all different styles of play. I like to see teams like what yeah. Jose puts out. 
you know, sitting back and playing on the counter-attack. And I love to see possession-based teams like that Pep puts out. But I have to say, Jose done him yesterday. It yeah. was absolutely blind. And you and I sat I sat together and you are, you know, Manchester City uh, biased, uh, obviously. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, even you, you, we were both appreciating what we saw. Yeah. We, we knew what the game plan was going to be. It was executed brilliantly. And it was. It was uh, sometimes... Football isn't all sort of four fours, eight eights, you know, seven four victories or whatever in tiki taka football. Sometimes, you know, drama can be induced by having a great defensive player and a team breaking on the counter attack and scoring. You got one of the best moments I've ever seen was Chelsea's rear guard action in the new camp and Torres scoring right at the very end to send them through to the, the, the final of the Champions League in 2012. I mean, it's just a great, great moment. You know, these, these things do. Uh, generate great headlines. One problem I think they are going to have, and I think we mentioned this on the Thursday pod, but Crook mentioned how great he had been so far this season, is Toby Alderweireld picking up a groin injury, Crook, and that that is going to be a bit of an issue. Yeah, it is, because it's looking like he's uh, forming a really good partnership um, with Eric Dyer. I think he's very underappreciated, Toby Alderweireld. I saw him come through um, at Southampton when he was on loan from Atletico Madrid, and he was just about the best defender in the Premier League um, that season. I think the reason he doesn't get the plaudits is because he just goes about his job quietly. He's, he, he doesn't court attention. He's not a Hollywood defender, but he knows how to defend. And if he is absent for uh, any prolonged period of time, that will be a problem uh, for Spurs. Just to go back on what Trevor was saying about Jose Mourinho, it's become a bit of a lost art grinding out victories to nil. We see so many goal fests now in the Premier League. I think there's something very um, romantic and very eye-pleasing oh. about a team Hold on. who keep clean sheets. <laughs> I like on. it. Hold on, hold on. This is the guy who couldn't wait to get rid of Jose Mourinho when he was the Manchester United manager because he was too defensive. <laughs> what, yeah, what, yeah, but, but there's games There's games to be defensive. I, you know, he doesn't need to do it every week. And I don't think, he, I don't than... think he's... <laughs> I don't think he's afraid to take the shackles off. I mean, we saw that performance at Southampton when they hit them for five. But this was not a game to take the shackles off. This was a game to outthink the opposition. They certainly did that. Could I just add to that? Because I feel there's certain clubs uh, in the world, especially in the Premier League, that you can go to as a manager and you can stamp your style of play on that club. What, to dare is to do Tottenham Hotspur, you know, Glenn Hoddle, Chris Waddle... Playing football through the thirds. What have you that, won? That's acceptable. What have you won there, recently? It's not a Man- what have Manchester United won recently? Well, Manchester United won a few trophies with Jose, actually. They did. So yeah. they should be exactly. grateful for so, them now. But, but even though they won and they, he was quite successful in his early period at Manchester United, the fans wouldn't have him because they don't accept that brand of football. I, I actually think the fans were brilliant with Jose Mourinho. They did their very best to support him right to the very end. It was just mouthy ones like him that had the problem. <laughs> <laughs> In general, what I was hearing from my friends, or like yeah. associates that are Manchester United fans, they, they weren't having different style, Whereas other Manchester clubs United will accept it. Yeah, and I think Tottenham, and if you ask Tottenham fans now, they'll be starting to buy into the idea that Jose could be the man for them. Yeah, well, maybe. Let's hope so. Um, uh, Torres looked a bit jaded for Manchester City. They had 22 shots, five on target. Just five on target. And obviously, we yeah. were there, Trevor, and Hugo Lloris hardly made a save. In fact, the only save I remember him making of any significant value was right at the very end from a set piece where Diaz uh, hit him from point-blank rate. It was a good save, um, but yeah. he didn't have to do too much. And how can a team that have spent £1 billion in transfer fees and have such a great academy, not have a thought about having an Aguero replacement already lined up. 
Yeah, I think they have got an Aguero replacement lined up. Um, I think there's been rumours going around that Lukaku was bid on in the summer and uh, the, the fee that they were uh, quoted was too rich for Manchester City. I feel, um, for me, I've been like kind of campaigning in a way, saying we need a, a plan B style of striker. Um, someone who's above five foot eight, who can, you know, if we want to get it wide and put it in the box. Oh, I was going to say, sizest. I almost put my CV but, in then, Trev, and then I had to redraw it very quickly. I'm five foot eight and a half, so yeah, I'll do. Uh, but you look, I look at, listen, you look at the players that they've got missing, Aguero. I think you look at the team 18 months ago, Sané and Raheem, and you look at the wingers now. Torres and Mares. Torres is still learning. He's only 20 years old. Mares, his consistency is frustrating. Um, Raheem was missing, obviously. Um, and I, I look through the side. Fernandinho's missing and Rodri's not quite as good as him. So I feel they have got problems. Um, they've always needed a left-back and they've still not got one. They're playing a right-back, Cancelo, in, in the left-back position. And actually, that was their undoing. That was the weakest spot for Manchester yeah. City. I spoke to you about it, Sam. Um, Son's movement coming in from right inside into the centre of the pitch. He, he didn't have a clue where he was. And time and time again, Son should have probably scored more. Time and time again, he was in. I think the first goal, Edison makes it easy for him. He's in no man's land. And by the time he's hit the ball, it's through his legs. The second one, I wouldn't play, blame at Edison. It, it, again, it was just poor defending from Manchester City. I have to give credit for to, to that combination, Harry Kane and Son, because they play in the blind. They did exactly what they'd practised and that, what their game plan was. My disappointment was, and frustration, I suppose, coming from a Manchester City supporter or ex-player's point of view was, that, that they didn't adapt at half-time. Because we said, while we were watching the game, commentating... Harry Kane's coming into the number 10 position. Why is Rodri kind of blinkered and all of a sudden it's landing at Harry Kane's feet just 10 yards behind him and he's sprinting it at the back four? It's not good enough. And I'd actually point a little bit of criticism at either Pep if he's not told Rodri or Rodri if he's been told and not doing it. Mm. It's an interesting scenario for, for Pep Guardiola because obviously he signed that new two-year contract this week. But it's almost a rebuild job, isn't it? Because it looks like yeah. Aguero will probably be heading back um, to Argentina. And he's not really had to do that before, Pep Guardiola. And if you look at this Manchester City team, their best players are still the ones that he inherited. The likes of um, De Bruyne, obviously David Silva, uh, who retired. Aguero, he also inherited Vincent Company. The signings that he's made... I think there have been more misses than hits. Well, we'll see what happens over the course of the next uh, few transfer windows. I imagine that they will go big next summer, maybe add one or two in January. Should we talk a little bit about the handball for the goal that was uh, disallowed? Because um, we... Look, I, I suppose you at the time were not convinced that it was handball, correct? I've yes. Do, I've done a little bit of research on this this morning and I've spoken to someone in the know... And uh, I found out this morning that the T-shirt line is a bit more of a myth than first feared, just to complicate things even further. Now, Crook will remember uh, that I circulated a diagram of where the T-shirt line is depicted in the IFAB laws of the game. Have you still got that, Crook, that I sent it to you? So you uh-huh. knew, you wanted to know, didn't you? So I sent it to you so you could see it. Well, guess what? Apparently, the diagram is wrong. Of course it is. <laughs> the letter of the law, and that is what apparently must be used, so I'm told, is the written word. And the written word says the T-shirt line is where the top of the arm meets the armpit, right? So 
I was told this morning by an, a very good source in the PGMOL that what you do is, is you get an elastic band. If you want an illustration as to how, where, and where the T-shirt line ends, get an elastic band, put it on your arm, and you roll it up as far as it can go. And then when it stops, a back, look right underneath your arm on the top of the shoulder, right under your armpit, that is the T-shirt line. So my sort of analogy was, okay, so it's like one of those capped T-shirts that you used to wear in the 80s. The response was yes. So, and this was outlined to me specifically, the bicep, the bicep yep. is handball. So therefore, yesterday's Jesus decision is handball by law. Hope that's cleared it up for you. So if you want a little help with the old T-shirt law, get yourself one of those 80s T-shirts, capped sleeves, and you look cool. Imagine Crook in one of those. He'd look blinding, wouldn't he? All <laughs> uh, right, Newcastle against Chelsea. 2-0 victory for uh, Frank Lampard's team, who went top of the league briefly at the weekend. They could have been 5-0 winners, but in the end, they had a little bit of a scare from Isaac Hayden and had to wait to guarantee all three points. But Tammy is on the score sheet again, and it was a big win trip Trevor, wasn't it? Bearing in mind they've got Tottenham next week. Yeah, huge win. Obviously, away from home, anyone in the Premier League is really important, and it's uh, very valuable. I thought that it could have been it could have been out of sight. The performance was excellent. I think they need to be more clinical and against better teams. They won't get that amount of chances, especially Timo Werner. You know, he was in so many situations, whether he, he should have scored or his last pass yeah. to put put it on a plate for somebody. He's got to be better at that. And I'm sure Frank's getting into him about that. You know, just take that extra bit of care, a little bit more focus on the execution of the pass. And if he does that, I mean, Chelsea are going to score a lot of goals. Really impressive defensively in general. Um, and yeah, I was pleased for Tammy because I'm a bit of a fan of Tammy's. I've seen him come through the England setup. Obviously, his time at Villa. Um, and I just feel he, he he's very close to being a very, very good, effective number nine uh, the goals are starting to rack up for him. I think he's a top scorer since the start of last season for Chelsea. And yeah, I really like him. So I hope he gets his chance. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty infused by what France brought in at Chelsea. And I think they've got a great chance to be in the mix come the end of the season. Okay, agony aunt music time. Here we go. Alex Crook, last Thursday you stood up for Steve Bruce. You told Newcastle fans they should know their place. What on earth are they expecting, you said. How did that go down in the world of social media for you? Did they, <laughs> did, just, did they start a hashtag for you? Uh, sack Alex Crook, I think, was the hashtag. So um, <laughs> nice of you to retweet that, Sam. Uh, I don't think we could judge Newcastle on this performance. You look at the money that Chelsea have spent over the course of the summer transfer window. It was a game that we expected Chelsea to win, and they duly did. I think if you look at Newcastle's next four or five matches, Palace away on Friday night, then Villa away the first weekend in December, West Brom at home, they have to win that one. Then they go to Leeds on a Tuesday night, and then Fulham at home. I think they're the two big games for me. Um, Fulham and West Brom at home. Steve Bruce will be targeting maximum points from those games, and that might just be enough uh, to keep the natives quiet. Of course, they might have to do it without Jamal themselves. That would be a big blow for them. But uh, as I, say, I think we expected them to lose to Chelsea, and they did. This next period is crucial. Okay, let's turn our attention to penalty schmenalty. 
penalty has been awarded here at Villa Park and the home side have a chance, Jeff Peters. It's Aston Villa 1, Brighton 2 and Aston Villa have got a chance to level things up deep into stoppage time at Villa Park. Uh, there's a bit of pushing and shoving going on between uh, some of the players, but Villa have been awarded uh, a spot kick. It is being watched, it's being checked by VAR. It was uh, Trezeguet, the man who went down. It was a challenge from Solly March, the man who put uh, Brighton uh, in front in this game. Did he just clip the ankles of uh, Trezeguet as you know he went down? He's definitely one of those where there's contact and it will probably stay a penalty, but if he's holding a baby, does he go down? No, if he's holding a pint, does he go down, Jeff? No. He doesn't, does he? No. But so this, this, is, this is where VAR is flawed, in my opinion. Aston Villa 1, Brighton 2 was the 3 o'clock game on a Saturday. There was a late drama in that game. I suppose we should sort of uh, focus on the, the big, big incident was the Villa penalty that wasn't a penalty in the last minute, which you and I, Crook, were texting about at the time. And, and you were surprised that the initial decision was overturned by the VAR, correct? Yeah, I thought it was a penalty. Um, it goes back to the argument that we've had before. Uh, is all contact in the penalty area a foul? I think in this case it was. I think where the Villa player has probably let himself down is that he was too theatrical um, with the way that he went to ground and, and he's paid the price for that. I'm not necessarily against that, by the way, because you don't have to go down like you've been shot by a sniper every time that you uh, feel contact in the penalty area. Well, you shouldn't be going down every time you feel contact in the penalty area because what the the law should be and what the assessment of whether a penalty should be awarded or not should be is if it is sufficient to... if the contact is sufficient to knock you off your feet or to, 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 to stop you in your stride. Adrian Durham articulated it brilliantly on game day when he said, if you have a pint in your hand and you feel that contact, are you going to spill it? If you have a baby, are you going to drop it? And and that should be that should. Do you know what? David Ellery has been rewriting the laws of the game over the last four years. He's rewritten 178 different new laws into the game. That should be in the laws of the game. If you've got a pint of beer in your hand and the contact makes you spill it, it's a penalty. If it isn't then you don't get one. And Trevor, this is a problem, isn't it? Because right now, you get a penalty if someone flirts with you in the penalty area. Yeah, We are turning this game into a non-contact sport, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, it wasn't about so much when I was playing, you know, which is, what, what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I think we're quick learners in England and um, we see the foreign players coming over and, and diving when the wind changes and we've we've jumped on it and, and we're just as good as them you know and I'm not saying that Vardy's a diver but he manipulates his body so that the player bumps into him and he goes over but that's um, the just game going back you know, to the, the analogy, end of the day if you were um, going to get if you were going to get a penalty when you go over for any contact you're going to do it aren't you and that, that is the game yeah. I don't blame the players and I don't really I mean I, I blame the lawmakers yeah, and I, and I actually put a bit of responsibility with the referees as well because at times players are getting kicked and, and are staying on the feet and not getting any advantage, losing possession and not getting a penalty. So what are you going to do? You're going to go over. But going back to Adrian Durham's analogy, I actually quite like the baby one because I have fell over with a pine and not spilled anything and gone yeah. flying. But, but with a baby, I feel if you're falling over, 
with a baby, I think that should be the analogy, not a pint. Yeah, because babies bounce, don't they? So, <laughs> and pints are precious commodities these Especially days. Especially nowadays. I mean, you can take away a baby, but you can't take away a pint. Or can you take away a pint but not a baby? I'm not entirely sure. Either way, I feel like I'm walking into a bit of trouble here. Um, Manchester United beat uh, West Bromwich Albion. Another penalty situation in this particular game. Uh, Manchester United winning their first game since July. Uh, crook at home at Old Trafford. Um, but can you understand Slavon Bilic's frustrations? Uh, yes and no, um, because I didn't think the uh, penalty for West Brom was a penalty. Um, I felt that Bruno Fernandes made contact with the ball. Uh, so I thought that was a correct decision to overturn it. The handball looks harsh. Yeah, um, it's not I, I think the retake was probably correct because the goalkeeper was off his line. Yeah, uh, I think it's very hard uh, with Fernandez's style of taking penalties for goalkeepers not to commit and come off the line. So maybe that's something that the lawmakers have to look at, the way that uh, players actually move up to address the ball. Well, they've changed the law on whether you can move as a goalkeeper. You have to have one foot on the line. You can't be behind the line and you can't be in front of the line. You have to have one foot on the line. So that's it makes it quite sort of straight-jacketed for a goalkeeper. But yet... A forward can hop, skip, and a jump like a trapeze artist, and 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 in, you've got no way of knowing when he's going to kick the ball. So it's a little bit difficult, isn't it? Really, I, I don't like that penalty because I actually don't think it's as effective as the people who execute it think it is. I mean, you know, Fernandez missed a couple now. I mean, he got away with it yesterday, and it won't go down as a missed penalty. But you know, in reality, it was, wasn't it, Trevor? Well, he got away with it. Um, just going back to Crookie's point, I thought the the penalty to West Brom was a penalty. I thought he kicked him straight in the shins and the ball didn't seem to move. Um, so for me, that was a penalty. But I think United... Spoken like a true you know, Manchester City fan there. Well, no. We, I, I mean, I was pl- I was giving Manchester United real um, compliments when we went to watch them at uh, Goodison Park. I thought yeah. they played excellent. I thought they controlled the midfield. I thought Fred and McTominay were excellent. McTominay especially, I thought, was superb. Cavani came on and played his role. And I just thought Manchester United looked like a really slick outfit. Um, but it's, it, I just can't get my head around why they can't do that at home. Obviously, teams are going there. They've not got the fans. Um, but they're, they're huffing and puffing and they've got over the line. But I do feel that they've been assisted by the officials on that occasion and, and to get the three points. Uh, well, I, I, I must admit, I think I've just got a bit of frustration because I can't I can't quite compute the number of penalties that have uh, managed to make their way into our game. I mean, it's, it, we're on for over 200 this season, mm. which is, which you know, it, when the average is 68 over the course of a season or 86 or whatever it is, I can't remember, we're over more than double anyway. It's about 80 actually. Um, that is, to me, it's changing the nature of the game. And mm. I, I don't really want to be what... I, 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 I love football and I want to watch it, but I don't want to watch football which is decided every week by spot kicks. I, I, I'd rather they be rare commodities because they always have been. Maybe I'm wrong in that, I don't know. But I, I'd like to see games decided by good, well-organised teams rather than the teams that that are better at taking penalties and taking advantage of situations that win penalties. But anyway, that's just my view. There are sure are other views out there. Uh, we will be back on uh, Thursday evening when you're on your way home from work, if you were allowed to, to go to work at the moment, or if you're just sitting at home and you're bored by about four o'clock, we'll be there to comfort you when you have your afternoon tea. And by afternoon tea, I don't mean cucumber sandwiches. I mean like the rest of us, digestive biscuits and a cup of decaf, maybe with a spot of honey. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, Trevor. Speak soon.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.